Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. Today, Andrew Tryon, the Astral Wander, joins me. Andrew is a freelance writer who's part of the crew writing for Gary's Appendix. We discuss freelance writing, games, and a variety of other topics. In the show notes is a link to my Patreon. For as low as $1 a month, you will gain my gratitude because you are offsetting the cost of making a podcast. A baker's dozen is enough to cover the monthly cost of this podcast. At the end of the show, you'll hear the further adventures of the Patreon pack as they fall headfirst into the unknown. A dense fog is rolling in, sisters and brothers. It is time to get rambling. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Jeff. So you are one of the writers for Gary's Appendix. That would appear to be the case, yes. <laughs> it would be. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I, I I put out a desperate call. By desperate call, I do really mean desperate call for, for writers. And uh, I remember you text me like, hey, you know, I don't know you, you don't know me, but you text me like, hey, I got an idea. I ran this really fun game. I want to write an article about this fun game or this fun session I wrote. And I'm thinking, sounds like, let's, let me write about my favorite character. (laughs) 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 My first thought was like, no, but I thought, you know what? I don't know what, I don't know what Andrew's going to give me. I have no idea. There's no reason to say no. Now I can always say no later. And so I said, sure. And then you sent me an article. And I read it. I'm like, oh my goodness, Andrew, it was so good. It was so good. It was so good. Uh, you took that original idea and uh, did a little bit of uh, twisting and turning and adjusting on your own. I didn't give any input, and you, you produced a, a really good, solid article. Yeah, it was. It's kind of an interesting process there with that, just because. When I actually sat down to write it, I, I was kind of sitting on the idea, even after talking to you about it, about it for about a week or two or something like that. But, you know, the deadline's coming up. I should probably write something, I guess. So I sat down and started writing and thought, I'm going to start after the little anecdotal bit about the session and then see how that goes. And maybe I can plug that in later or not. I don't know. But I, uh, my minor in college was in English. And one of the classes was a writing class. And the teacher was always like, it's all about your audience. I'm like, okay, it's all about my audience. And she'll laugh to hear that, hear me say that because she said <laughs> that those words will haunt me one day. <laughs> but yeah, I've, yeah, it was the guidance on just kind of like the thing more like first edition DMG type stuff. And just thinking about that, made me realize, you know, I probably could just start at this point and go through just the actual takeaway of this and the details there. Yeah, because I thought what was interesting to me was uh, it was twofold. And this is to me a lot of ways, you know, not that I'm a BX expert by any, 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 any stretch of the imagination, but you provided a set of tools that, that, you know, using random tables to generate a, you know, an action filled adventure. Uh, but it also, you kept it simple enough that it's like real easy to modify and real easy for a person to do on their own. So it's also didactic in nature. So it really wasn't just a, you know, you go through some of these things, it's very complex formulas for this and that, but it's like, hey, you can just pull it out and run it. 
or you say, I, I understand now and I can make my own little sandbox uh, generator. Yeah. I, yeah, it's really fun making stuff like that. I find I, it tends to be my default process a lot of the time. Um, I don't like complicated formulas or anything. <laughs> well, and I think the thing is, you know, when we're dealing with, uh, if, if we're doing a, a video game, then probably modeling reality makes a little more sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but the last thing I really need to do is, you know, I look at some of these, um, I think it was uh, Frog God. Was it Frog God? I bought a bunch of, um, there were a bunch of environmental books. They're PDFs. So it's like, you know, Savannah, you know, Woodlands. It's like very, in like complex weather charts and da 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 da. I mean, it's like a lot of great information, but really at the table, I really don't want to be rolling on a, a whole bunch of different things. Just, just show me a couple of tables, roll a couple of things, and something fun should be happening. Not, oh yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a sunny day, no end. I spent five minutes to come up with that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I feel like, you know, you've already got a really super fast computer up here. So trying to replace that with something formulaic at the table, I feel is maybe redundant in a fairly inefficient way. Well, and I think too, it's like, the other thing is, I guess, you know, they, they say, you know, on one hand for uh, like skill checks or whatever may be is only roll when it matters. Right. Yeah. But you know, I think the converse, it's like when we roll, it should, as a GM, it should matter. Like to get roll for something and get something none, not, it's not helpful or interesting. That does us no good uh-huh. either. True. Sure. I feel actually one idea where all those charts and formula might be useful is just during prep before you actually get to the table. It might be a good idea generator for that. Oh yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, you want to be throwing in, you know, the tilting floors or the, whatever it may be. You you, you do need to go ahead of time, but I think just even still in general, it's kind of nice to, you can roll something a few times, get some really great ideas. You know, it's not like you come up with, if you roll in the middle of every single thing, you don't come up with nothing special happens. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wrote, ran a dungeon like that once. Oh. I had all, all the encounters were on a random D6 table and they went through the whole dungeon, encountered one wraith and just completely demolished it. And then on their way out, they got mobbed by monsters. <laughs> so it, it, it was an interesting and very lopsided experience getting nothing okay nothing okay nothing oh you found one thing here okay Uh, okay now you're on your way out well guess what there's a mob of guys after you (laughs) surprise (laughs) (laughs) i guess it'd be more satisfying to die from a mimic i guess i don't know (laughs) possibly (laughs) it's kind of strange and i think that's uh i think the thing is it's like you know, the idea generators, I've, I've been a big fan of those. I think I think probably the best I've ever seen has been from Modifius. I don't know if you've ever seen any of their um, generators. I haven't taken a close look at their stuff. 
Yeah, they did it for Conan, I believe, but uh, the Octoon Cthulhu, if you want to do a World War II, I never, I never really ran many games in that setting, but boy, you know, you, it is long, is a long uh, process to go through all their tables, but when you do, it's, it's pretty solid what you come up with. And so, and also um, Adventure of, uh, it was a Tome of Adventure Design, it just came out by, um, I forgot his name, uh, Matt Finch. Have you heard mm. of that? Can't say I have. I'll have to look um, it up. Yeah, he just kickstarted more recently, and it's a it's a book of random ideas. So and random this and random that. So it's it's kind of neat. So 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 you say this is kind of your your mode. So for, do you do much writing for RPG pro- products or material? Not really. No. As, aside from writing, just stuff that I'm in the middle of designing right now. Uh, don't do a lot of RPG writing. I'd like to do more of it, probably. It, it, it's a fun direction to take my career, I think. Oh, yeah. It, so, so what is your career, by the way? What, you, what, what do you do now? I'm a, I'm, a free, I'm a freelance content writer just for, I have a few clients who work with various companies and put stuff on their websites. There's a lot of SEO involved in that. So they'll give me topics that they want me to work certain keywords into and they want this many words and yada, yada, yada. It's, it's, so I've gotten a decent grasp on writing for people, I guess, instead of just for myself. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you can take a topic that you really do not care anything about <laughs> and make it at least moderately interesting Get all the the metrics. Get all the key phrases. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> so, is there software for that? There probably is. I don't really know much about it. Most well, I've used is uh, the stuff to check domain authority when I'm backlinking to other sites to use as sources, because apparently that helps things rank. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole s- series of juice and what makes it work. I know for uh, where I work, um, I work for um, Caterpillar, and there's uh, people that write technical manuals and various, you know, odds and ends, but they have software that constrains them. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah so the, it, they have a little bit of liberty, but it, it definitely will, will constrain the writing to a a certain path so it's all consistent yeah i i've been fortunate to have people to work with who for the most part you can definitely tell when it's not the case and it definitely affects the end results but who are i just open up a word document and write and make sure i hit certain points and make sure it's in line with the client and their audience there it is again right for your audience yeah exactly so and not you don't have to give anything specific, but like so like what kind of things are you writing or what kind what are the clients like is this for like like a large company that sells like 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 healthcare products or I mean what what is the sort of thing that you're you're writing? It's a wide range of stuff. There's uh some I did have a law firm I was writing for for a bit. That was interesting. Uh, there's doctors, healthcare stuff, um, 
So what what part do they interface off? Let's say I'm a doctor. Yeah. And I and I, but why would I? So what would I come to you that would need a human interface, uh, an interface to humanity? Like what's what's you're providing that interface between the doctor and the greater population? What are they trying to communicate? Partly, it's partly it's just trying to communicate that hey, I'm a knowledgeable knowledgeable person who can answer your questions or who's capable of helping you. That sort of thing. There's also a lot of SEO, making sure Google recognizes that, hey, this is valuable stuff that could answer people's questions. So you're not like writing necessary articles. You're just kind of writing places where people would, would enter into their site or search. Like I'm looking for a, a new dentist and it would say, you know, Tim Young and Associates, you know, we, whatever, whatever, whatever. That's the type of stuff you write then? To a degree. There also are articles, so blog posts that companies will put on their website, uh, usually geared to try to answer some question or other. So uh, probably one of the more interesting topics was what do I do if I find marijuana in my car? <laughs> there was a- Okay, so, a, so wait a second. For a law firm. So I, I guess, are you married by any chance? I'm not. Okay, I could just, okay. So just, just you know, the thing is, you, you think of the things that people could find like lying around <laughs> <laughs> your Google searches, you know, because I've met you're doing research. It's like, you know, like, why are you searching? <laughs> the internet? Yeah. So, so, so the question is what do you do if what now, if you find, if, or what do I do if the police find marijuana in my car? Some just stuff like that. So, so do you, do you, do you give like the best answer to avoid, arrest or so what is the answer it's usually probably the best answer to avoid having marijuana necessarily implications when you're taken to court <laughs> over it <laughs> or to create the best case scenario for plea bargaining and that sort of thing so i don't remember what what the actual answers were i think the it, i think yeah. the problem is is what you're saying is you need to read the article to plan ahead but if you're the type of person to plan ahead, you're probably not the person who's going to get caught with marijuana in your car. Yeah, true enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the topic they gave me. Though, so. but, we'll but I well, it does. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I'm interested. Like, I, you know, like what is the thing? Do you just do you deny it? Do you go through the same thing? Oh, it must have be my my brothers. I mean, it's like I think part of it is kind of playing dumb and saying I'm not sure how that got in there. And just giving as little evidence for prosecution to work with, I guess. So. I think I'm being set up. Not saying anything (laughs) that would, uh, (laughs) at the very least, not saying anything that would necessarily make you 100% liable, I guess. Like, boy, I'm glad you didn't catch me uh, last week where I had three times the amount or. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You probably want to avoid something like that. You didn't, but at least you didn't find the LSD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think we need the reverse article now. Like, right. like what don't you do? What don't you do? Yeah, really. <laughs> do not mention the body in your trunk. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty wild. So, so and that, I thought too were, so one of the things that fascinated me, like if you ever played Traveler or any game like Traveler? Can't say I have, no. 
So I used to think like, like spaceships, like what's keeping somebody from stealing a spaceship? But what's keeping the person from stealing a spaceship is the same thing that's keeping people from stealing airplanes. So if you want to research stealing airplanes, I have a feeling that could get you, uh, you're going to get, uh, the feds are going to be searching for that kind of nonsense. I have an alibi, I'm a writer. <laughs> How do I bypass a transponder? How do I, you know, change a transponder? How do I, like, yeah. those types of things. How do I steal uh, a, a Boeing 747? How do I fly a Boeing 747 if I've never flown with Like all these things <laughs> I'd like to know. They're just out there. But I just figure that the, 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 the risk is not worth the reward. Yeah. Yeah, it's... That's probably the case, I would imagine. Just access to that information first off and then actually executing it. Unless if you're really sure the payoff is going to be worth it or if you're desperate. Yeah, I think, you know, you know, it's been a while, but Steve Jackson Games back in the day was did a cyberpunk book. This was like early, 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 early days. And they got raided by the FBI who thought they were actually... <laughs> Oh no, it was serious. Oh wow. Oh no. No, they stole hard they took hard drives. They stole computers. They 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 took their files, everything. They raided, they raided their offices. And it took a long time to get stuff back. It's just a game, guys. It's just a game. <laughs> it reminds me, apparently in prisons they don't let inmates play D D because they think they might be using it to plan an escape. Yeah, I think the problem is people probably been successfully escaping long before D&D's ever been, uh, been out. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, but people don't realize, you know, I, I, I think there's, there must be weaknesses in your system if, if that's your, your concern. If, if, the, the, uh, if Gary Gygax can be used as a means of escaping a federal prison. <laughs> which. Yeah. Now, okay, so if I were to commission an article, I think this is this is what the article I would commission. Um, how could you use the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide uh, to plan an escape from a prison? That is a very good question. That would definitely bear <laughs> a lot of researching too. <laughs> See, if you were just if if I was just rich enough, I could just. Uh, I could be commissioning all this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I might just write it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of funny because I was, uh, go ahead. Oh, it's fascinating. I, it's so esoteric. You, there's no idea, there's no telling what you might find that could be useful and how much of it you'd have to just slog through in order to get to something that is useful. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think there's other things in that might be like, I don't know. It's just, it's strange. It is strange. And, you know, I wonder if things are different now. I mean, you know, back, you know, in the day, things were definitely much more poo-pooed and looked down upon and, uh, than it is today, but uh, but it's strange that the aversion to you know worrying about a game might lead people to a, a <laughs> to even greater crime. 
It's like, like any, I think society's already done more, much worse job than D and D could ever do. So it's very likely. So you you've got one article in your under your belt for 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 uh, for uh, Gary's appendix, and I'm assuming you've got some other things percolating. Gradually, yes, I've uh, had some thoughts. Just I don't know if the first edition DMG covers this. If it does, great. If it doesn't might be something to what well, it doesn't have uh, to be it's all in the right. spirit of what's interesting right um i was thinking recently about different clerical orders you know i'm the catholic church you have different orders of monks and they've all got their own little particular things they do just how would that look in a medieval fantasy setting where you've got this wide pantheon of deities and yeah, what is the requirement of a cleric and how would that work for, how would that work, right? You know, like say an adventuring party. So you're right, and you have different levels. And then yeah. you have like full bone clerics and then you have like the, um, who are the ones that uh, gave safe travel to the Holy Land? Uh, the Templars. Yeah, yeah. The and then you probably also can deal with like, like even you uh, talking medieval, which could also even aim it to the other direction to to the Muslim monks, right? People who are of, of not I say monks, but of clerics. So no, that I think is a very fascinating one. I think it's definitely one that never really I say never. I don't know ever really gets explored in a way that's that's meaningful, right? And just I'd be interested to just look into different orders like the monks in this cloister do these particular things and they they uh give up this sort of stuff and this is the role that they're championing they tend to focus on these particular saints and all that sort of thing yeah and that is that is you're right because i think it's easy to kind of think of them being kind of monolithic in nature but they really aren't and i'm sure from culture to culture and from order to order they can vary quite widely. Yeah. It's uh it's really interesting to look into that. It's I took a class on it a while ago and I'll have to look at my materials again just to pull some ideas from that. Yeah, there's there's definitely no shortage of of fun things uh to explore. Um and it's, 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 and, I, and I'm surprised it's kind of interesting going through the DMG, just the sort of things Gary would pick and the sort of things he would focus on and some of the things he'd put a, a tremendous amount of focus on. Yeah. I haven't explored it in depth myself. I, I did start looking through it recently and uh, it's really fun watching how he jumps from, okay, this is how poisons work and to, this is a, uh, how many hit points a paladin's mount has? <laughs> Dude, this is what how an assassin would go about doing their job, sort of thing. Yeah, if, if you could imagine, it's you know in the seventies, it really you know if you can't imagine a pre-internet world, and um, what that kind of book would be like. I mean, it's kind of like having the best parts of an encyclopedia just all jumbled up into this one, one book. Yeah. It's actually one item I like to include in the games I run. 
is an almanac. So in medieval times, you'd have just these books full of random information. So on one page, you could have, this is how you grow turnips and stuff like that. And then the next page is a recipe for a love potion. And the next is like, is diagrams of different sword fighting techniques. Just all compiled in this one book. I wonder what the implications of that in an RPG setting would be. You just hand a player uh, this book just full of random facts and some of it might be useful, some of it might not. Well, you know, for a particular setting, that would actually be amazing because that could be a way of, like, for instance, let's say you did one of, of herbs. Right. And then you make sure that maybe some things they come across where maybe those herbs are necessary. Yeah. And, and so everything about it, lunar phases maybe have an effect. And so they would need to refer to that. Like you would not necessarily have to tell them, but maybe, you know, certain times of lunar phases, maybe certain kind of magic is least powerful, or maybe that's when the Fae are most powerful or whatever it may be. And, and then, with for that setting that would that would pertain in a way that's meaningful that they could use that for an advantage yeah i can i can definitely see that happening also it would be fun to scatter in a little bit of misinformation here and there too (laughs) (laughs) some of it might be a bit obvious to players i guess well it could be that 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 it, it does do what it says but there's there's that side effect yeah or just a warning, do not complete this recipe if under a new moon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, because uh, I think, yeah, because I, and that would be interesting, because I don't know that anybody's really done that. But you think about, like, all the different settings and the things that they focused on, like, say, with, with either Greyhawk or more, more, to put the point, something like Forgotten Realms, something like that would be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think too, you know, look, when I was doing the bestiary, you know, a lot of times we, um, we, it's strange, as modern people, we look at the fantasy world through the eyes of science. Yeah, I see. What if all the things they believed were actually true the way it were? So like, you know, the humors is the key to healing. Right. It yeah. Is- yeah, I've, I've seen that. It, it does seem to be, we like to systematize things in a very logical, we know how this thing works and we want to know how, how properties of how this magic spell works and we follow yeah. this formula. And it, but yeah, from a medieval mindset, there's, kind of an element of mysticism thrown into that that i feel is really fun to capture but is hard to capture if you're going strictly with the formulaic approach to the game yeah and like diseases i mean diseases were caused by miasma it's got some bad air yeah well where do you get bad air well probably through swamps and dungeons Oh, that makes sense. But, and and that's of course where like molds and different things grow too. But I mean, but you you can just put things on their head. 
right how molds we often treat like it's funny how in games you have slimes that are basically treated as monsters and how i might wonder how you might plug in just disease effects with that i don't know yeah, it it well, I mean, definitely, you know, if you go work in your basement, you got some black mold, you'll, you'll oh yeah. What <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, you know, even hallucinogenic uh, properties and such like that. But but I mean, but, you know, if uh, there's a game called RuneQuest where they they it is a the world is mystical, so the the sun is a god that goes across the sky, and and you still get diseases, but it is it is from bad air. It just coincides that, you know, it's kind of the flip side of things. Like the things we attribute to causing diseases are actually caused by other things like the bad air. Right. But, you know, you of course, bad spirits there. Where, where there's bad air, there's also, you know, normally you can say, well, that's bacteria and, and things like that, but that doesn't exist. But, but yeah, I would say for an almanac, uh, I think it would be, are you, what you could even do is instead of just doing for a particular region, just do an almanac. And that would just be a way for having GMs think about the world differently and just be inspirational. Yeah. Instead of approaching magic this way, you approach it. Or instead of, like, with the example of disease, instead of approaching it, yeah, giving recipes and on how to avoid bad air and what do you do if you're exposed to it and what kind of ritual you go through and someone develops a cough yeah there's some people there's one guy and i forgot his name jesse his last name but he did um other magics where he went through real world magics and it's kind of interesting um and in how people use them how they applied them and ways of circumventing it if you're you know people doing bad stuff and kind of went through different traditions, but some of just like appellations, you know, their view. And he kind of also worked a little bit on how you can incorporate it, but that's another fun way of taking magic away from just strictly magic users, but even within common people being able to, to do certain things. Right. Attaching a bit of superstition to it, I guess, is, and then treating that superstition as if it's something to actually be believed within the world, the game world setting. Yeah, and, and also not to not to uh, downplay people's uh, real religion, but like right. I have a friend, uh, the guy I know, they are Catholic, which I didn't realize they would take a, um, if they wanted to sell a house, they would bury some statue of some saint I don't know, like upside down the ground or something. <laughs> but the thing is, is you could put stuff in there where that is real. And maybe that gives you a, a modifier. If you do this, then you gain this. Yeah. So if you, if you're trying to sell something and you have the medallion of such and such, and you do a certain thing, you get a plus one modifier. Yeah. If you wish to uh, avoid the gaze of the Gorgon, you must do this and bury the petrified statue head first in the ground. <laughs> yeah, well, it's what's interesting is for the bestiary, because I looked in, you know, the, a lot of the traditional stuff, but, and I didn't do deep research, so, you know, nothing there. But the, the, the basilisk, 
the natural enemy to the basilisk is the weasel. That's and, fun. And you could sometimes kill basilisk with weasel urine. So <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> I love well, it. it is. So if you, if you, it is the thing I look at. It's like, well, you know, in some some stories, the basilisks are like small, like they're only like a couple inches long. They're not these large monsters. And other right. times they are large monsters. But if you start saying, well, what if that is true? What if maybe weasels are the natural enemies to basilisks? <laughs> and uh, and you have a basilisk to deal with. You're going you're probably gonna look out, you're gonna go try and find some weasels. Try and find a giant weasel and see if you can wrangle it. <laughs> yeah, but what if it what if you don't even need a it, but if weasels don't really have a hard time killing it, but maybe they just fight you know, or whatever it may be, there's something about a weasel, uh, then you're going to seek those things out. And I think you can provide, you know, talking about the Gorgon, there's ways of taking traditional ways of looking at things that are folklore in nature and also apply them to the game in a way that could add add for more fun. And less direct thinking, like, okay, Gorgon, what am I going to do? I got to get a mirror. Okay, I've got to have a shield. We'll polish it. Okay, it's like, what if there are other ways around it? Yeah, I'd have to look into that. That'd be that'd be a fun rabbit hole to dig to dig into. <laughs> <laughs> there are, and you could also, if you're doing an almanac, you could even throw in recipes too. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> And, and I think, your eyes with this cell, then you'll be immune to the Gorgon's glass. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing, too, it's like, uh, oh, there's like, uh, have you heard of Foxfire? Yes. So they collected Appalachian, you know, uh, somebody was afraid that all these traditions were going to die out, so they started collecting those. But that may be a zine uh, to, to be made there, Andrew. Yeah. You could do your own Almanac series. <laughs> Those are ideas. I've been kind of in the top, the vein of taking real world traditions and adapting them to the RPGs. I've kind of been working on my own RPG system on this. Oh, end. really? And I, I wanted the magic in this game to feel like it was magical instead of the scientific process that wizards do and they learn it in universities and all that. Right. Uh, and so it was a really interesting dive into just different traditions. And I, I kept it really general for the most part. But there are little, you can see little bits of like voodoo in here and there. And there's also some like Christian traditions thrown in there as well, just with clerical type stuff. And it was a really fun exercise. And it makes you approach. For me, I had to approach it in a very different way from traditional RPGs, I think. The, in, like in folklore, for instance, you'll see these uh, mystical figures who, for instance, can talk to animals. And they don't have to do any kind of ritual before they talk to them. They can just talk to animals just because that's part of who they are as a being, I guess. I wanted to replicate that kind of vibe with it so one who has fey ancestry for instance would be able to talk to animals or the wind or stones or whatever 
and might so, get other weird powers because of that. So let's say you can talk to animals, or let's say you can talk to objects or the elements. Is there, how do you work, like, what they know and what they communicate in personality? Is that part of the system too? Not enormously. I, ha I haven't included a lot of detail on that, aside from a, just a little snippet of guidance, however the DM wants to interpret how a rock would respond to questions or how the wind would respond to, would act around people, or what kind of information they might have. Like I imagine the wind would be carrying rumors from faraway lands and maybe be a bit too playful to be useful all the time. Whereas a stone might be more stubborn, but willing to share wisdom if you're willing to listen. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting take. So what did you, so, so this was the whole system centered around magic or was the magic system a bolt-on for something else? It was kind of a, yes, and kind of both almost. I, it, it's kind of a conglomerate of a lot of ideas I've been stewing over for a while. So the magic kind of impacts stuff to a degree. The uh, it's almost treated as a skill, so or, or kind of a proficiency sort of thing. So yeah. I am so this character is proficient with, for instance, necromancy. It's just a thing that it's the skill that they can have, and they apply those bonuses when they're doing anything involving the dead, even if it's mundane or normally mundane. <laughs> <laughs> so being able to identify yeah. the cause of death or to sense the presence of uh otherworldly beings would be something that would be under their purview or so you, some, so you probably don't necessarily like lay out every single thing they can do but kind of give guidelines and then the gm kind of determines from that point for the most part there's abilities you can take that are kind of added onto it or uh one of them involves seers, like one set of magic involved, like what can seers do? They can see hidden objects, but there's also some stuff where they're, they're able to perceive reality in such a way that they can kind of traverse it in abnormal ways. So you can grab abilities that kind of build on that. Uh, for instance, there's one that my players always use. I've been running this with people for a while where you can instead of taking your movement you can move instantly to a point you can see if it's too far it exhausts you but the people have been it, it's all kind of grounded in you see reality differently and you can traverse it differently than other people can oh that's fun Those little things like that so you're really taking a a big step away from let's say the definitely the the vancian and the, the yeah. D &D. And I've I've been listening to I've never have you ever played Mage the Ascension. It sounds familiar. So it's a world of dark. I've never played it, but it, it's everybody's a mage, so it's not like apparently World of Darkness, they don't believe in a in a balanced party. So you either you either <laughs> play a game where everybody's a vampire, you play games where everybody's a werewolf, or you, you play right. games where everybody are mages, but you know, it's it's I think it's a little more free form where they don't I from what I understand that you don't have a list of spells you'd kind of have certain purviews that you have access to or and those are the things that you can do 
And so movement might be one, but how you define it and how it works is, you know, is can be tailored to that person and whatever flavor they want it to be without, you know, being defined strictly. And so right. it sounds kind of like the summer type thing where, <clears throat> so, so do you use, do you use this for addition for um, like standard type fantasy adventures? Or are you doing something different with, with this? It's straight up medieval fantasy just because it's what I enjoy. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, you've got wizards. They're usually more of that weird hermit who lives in the woods type of wizard though. You've got swords and sorcery and monsters and that sort of thing running around. It, it kind of similar, but also in a different direction. The other thing I thought it would be interesting is every cleric spell is pretty much dealing with with uh, you know, damage or com- it's related to combat. But what about spells that have nothing to do with combat? Yeah, like curse a field or bless a field. Or... <laughs> I kind of included stuff like that. Oh, really? <laughs> a little bit. Like, there's at least you can bless an area to uh, give advantage to certain tasks. Just, you you basically consecrate it for a certain purpose, and any roles made to accomplish that purpose have an advantage. So what kind of what kind of dice system are you using for this? It's a D20 system. Okay. Yeah. So it's not not anything super innovative in that direction. I've I have kind of a weird system for weapons and armor that I've been messing around with a lot where armor's sort of damage reduction to an extent. And I was running it as straight damage reduction, but that got a little bit clunky. And I, I just like being able to roll a die and look at the result and say, okay, that's the damage you take without having to think about it. Well, the, the other thing with damage reduction is it can scale in a very wonky way. So it doesn't, yeah. there's a certain point where with armor goes beyond a certain point. It's, it's, it's becomes very, very powerful. Yeah, kind of. yeah. I've definitely seen that a party with full plate armor will absolutely steamroll most things. Almost yeah, deliberately trying to defeat armor with it. The, the yeah. system I have right now is each weapon has its regular damage and then it's versus armor damage, which is usually lower. So some weapons are better against armor than others. And then armor might be immune to certain types of damage, but you can bypass it narratively. Have you ever looked at Millworth role playing or any of the um, Arms Law books from? back in the day a little bit i've taken this very quick gander through middle earth role playing so the the premise is the higher your armor class the more often you're hit but the less damage you take right and conversely the less armor you have the harder you are to hit more damage you take and also you more likely get critical so you're, you're kind of balancing that whole thing out yeah that makes sense well, it's way too complicated. Well, yeah. I say too complicated. I don't want to put judgment, but it, it it takes a lot of time to run combat. But uh, right. but but the the premise is great. The overall concept is like if you were to streamline it in some way, make it so that it's it functions 
the way it's intended while still being really streamlined and you don't have to think too hard about it. Yeah, I think there will one day be either a virtual reality or a uh, computer solution to these issues. I think right now getting role-playing games virtually or even at the tabletop uh, face-to-face is it's not quite there. But boy, I think one day these complex because right now we it seems like we're simplifying things to make them fast at the table. And yeah. we're doing that so because we're humans. But you know what? If 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 it's all formulas being done at the speed of light, it doesn't really matter. You know, you can you don't have to worry about figuring out a D6 system that people can grasp. It's just like it's all done behind the hood. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like video games kind of take it that direction to a degree. Oh yeah. Uh, a lot of some of the uh so I basically got my start in tabletop gaming making my own stuff. So my earlier stuff was definitely influenced by mechanics from games and I guess oh, going the You say from games, you mean from video games? From, yeah, from video games. Uh, for instance, I in Elder Scrolls games you get better at stuff by doing it more. So I tried to apply something like that in the game. Well, that's that's pretty much taken from uh, Chaosium. Hmm. So if you look at Call Call of Cthulhu, it's been pronounced for it, and <laughs> and uh, if you look at basic role playing, it's the same. So what you do is you during the adventure you roll, and you succeed, you check the skill, and then at the end of the session or game, or whatever, then you roll again. If you fail the roll on the ones you exceeded before, then you get percentage increase in those in those hmm. interesting yeah, i think i think i've seen something similar to that before where at the end of a session you'll try to roll i think it's either i think as you roll over your skill and if you manage that then it goes up by a little bit yes their skills or ability scores one of those two yeah, and I think that I mean the, the 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 downside is I think logically where it fails is you know is that the skills that you are terrible at you tend to not succeed during the game. <laughs> You're less likely to use them. And yeah. therefore you never get a chance, or if you you almost never then get that opportunity because you have to succeed first with that before you can roll later to actually improve. And so yeah. that's the bad part. I mean, it does limit user skills to get higher. You're less likely to fail the second roll. So it seems to kind of reward progressing, I think more in the middle, but I believe you can just, instead of, you can, if you have extra time, you can have your characters work a thing, but, but it just, but I think with video games, you can just keep doing something because it's your time. Yeah. If you want to, if you wanted to ha- dig at rocks for, for ten hours to get up a skill, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, if you want to spend so many hours mining down until you hit lava. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> but you know, at the gaming table, nobody wants to deal with that. So I think, I think, you know, I'm, I would be, I would almost be certain that that, um, you know, the Elder Scrolls. I don't say took it, but that idea was was there before. Um, but the computer made it much simpler. And I think I so one of the the guys who 
who was behind the Elder Scrolls, I forget, he was a he was in role playing games first, and he was talking about that. He's the one that came up with the math for that. But I guess it can be broken. People have found ways to. Uh, <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Morrowind is a mess that you can absolutely bust wide open if you know where to poke it. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good thing because it it rewards different people for different things. Right. If you want to play it this way, great. If you want to take the rules as intended rather than as written, <laughs> you can do that. Or if you want to break it open, you can do that too. So you say you so when did you first start playing tabletop role-playing games? It was probably around high school. I Actually, probably a lot of my start in it came from Hero Quest. I had a friend who had it, and some days we'd just get together and play that for a bit. And he hacked it a little bit, and somehow I persuaded him to let me play as a Chaos Knight. <laughs> so I was running around in full plate armor and being overpowered, but it was a good time overall. <laughs> but also, uh, it would have been around high school when I was making my own stuff instead of paying attention in class. Yeah, yeah. Or whenever I had free time during study hall when I wasn't doing school stuff. Yeah, that was. So what was your, so what was your first, we'll call it bona fide, but what was your first bona fide RPG? First bona fide RPG. Oh, the first one didn't have, or the first, by that, what do you mean, I guess? Well, like, like D&D, did you play, uh, like, Gamma World? Like, what was the first, like, actual, like, uh, you know, Hero Quest is, my understanding, is just more of a miniatures game. Yeah, to it's random kind of dungeons. a game. Yeah, yeah, so what was the first one where you actually, like, okay, this is, I'm playing a character and, and going about exploring the world that way? It might have been 3.5 D&D. Just, and it never really went that far. It was just occasionally I'd be at a friend's place and he'd be like, you want to play D&D? I'm like, okay, sure. Okay, roll up a character and roll up a character and start an adventure. And then it never goes anywhere because then I would go on. But, and we never met again to do that again. Um, that was probably the first time I was playing a character in a game. Usually I'm just DMing. Because it's usually just games that I've made and I have these ideas for worlds and settings and stories and all that. And oh, that's cool. So you just kind of just, uh, so all the mechanics and such, you just kind of say, I want to try a thing. And then you, you get some people on, the, on board that bus and then you drive that bus around. Yeah, basically. And then you, maybe the bu bus runs out of gas or you realize, oh the bus doesn't have any wheels but eventually <laughs> you, you you get a new bus and you get on board and you guys go for a weird shape that doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i think there's always uh, that's been a, a popularity what's interesting is is that you kind of came at that way you know when growing up during my time there really was not much um getting answers to questions was very difficult because there was no, no internet. And, you know, if you wanted to ask a question about D and D, you know, you'd maybe send a letter to dragon magazine and maybe it'd get published one day, or maybe it wouldn't. So I think it kind of rewarded people just making stuff up because you're not really sure. And 
things seem to not work. Maybe it didn't work because you didn't understand it, but um, but it's kind of interesting because you come from another way of just saying, you know what, I just enjoy uh, tinkering with things. So it's kind of almost a hybrid in a way where you've played the video games, you've played the board games, you're like, well, let me try this. Is that kind of way you approach it? A little bit. Yeah, it's, I also tend to be the sort of person where if I lack something, I'll just make it myself instead of buying something. So I've, I have been buying a lot of RPG books lately just to kind of mine them for ideas. But yeah, basically that if I'm, if I have an idea for a game, I kind of want to see how it'll work and if it'll work or not, how it would play at a table and what I can do with it. Lately, it's been more, how can I make these game mechanics support a certain vibe in the game? Like, do I want it to focus on this? Do I want it to focus on strictly combat? Do I want something kind of a Diablo style run through a dungeon and slaughter tons of monsters in quick succession? And how could we get game mechanics to support that in an efficient and fun way? Yeah, there's, I mean, I think it goes to show that, you know, for a long time with D and D, you know, things went a particular way, but I think more, more as of the last like 20 years, people are starting to explore different spaces in different avenues, but uh, it's kind of interesting. You're not coming at it from, from, from hybridizing other works. You're just kind of trying to hack away something that you conceive in your head to see how it works in reality. Yeah. And sometimes I'll look at other source material to see how they do it. And I might adopt ideas from that or I might not. Yeah, I just I would just hybridize 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 um, stuff. I never I don't think I ever created much on my own, but but I just know that probably I've done as much damage creating hybrids as they could just do on their own. <laughs> I mean it could be argued that what I'm doing is just hybridizing on a different level just because if you believe the concept that there's no such thing as a new idea, we're all just kind of remixing stuff that somebody's thought of before. Oh, that is true. Uh, right. There's, there is no, yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it goes, even goes back to the AI art. Um, oh Yeah. So somebody stated, I'm not, and I understand people's position. I'm not in any way mocking this guy's position. This guy said something to the fact I saw on Twitter where he was, um, he was uh, boycotting all AI art because it was taking uh, work. It was take, well, I think two reasons. One is I think it's utilizing images that are created by people that are not in public domain right. and to the intent is to maybe bypass the need for artists hmm. and and that it's being funded by by elon musk so it's it, it a person who does not respect artists who's demonstrated doesn't respect artists um and uh and uh and it's just a way of basically the man just trying to stick it to the artist so and i get his point but I'm thinking too, it's like everybody's taking from everything 
all the time. The AI is doing nothing different than what a human artist is doing. Right. Steal from one source, it's plagiarism. <laughs> Steal from many sources, and you're an artist. Yeah. <laughs> you're an expert. I forget there, how that quote went exactly. Well, there, there, there's a there's also the uh, Kipling's um, uh, about Homer. Uh, you ever read that that poem? When was it when Omer smote his blooming lyre? Oh, I shouldn't do this. Uh, Kipling. This is this is good. This is good radio here. <laughs> it's uh this cue some elevator music. It's uh yeah, I can't do the I can't do the accent, but it's called when Omer smote is bloomin' liar. So when Omer smote is bloomin' liar, he'd heard men sing by land and sea, and what he thought he might require, he went and took the same as me. The market girls and fishermen, the shepherds and the sailors too, they heard old songs turned up again, but kept quiet, same as you. They knew he stole, he knew they knowed. They didn't tell nor make a fuss but winked at Homer down the road and he winked back the same as us. So Homer was taking stuff from everybody. <laughs> We're stealing from Homer and he, everybody's winking. Uh, so <laughs> We're all having a good time. <laughs> We're all having a good time. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's very interesting. It's like, it's like artists with music. It's like me, I wrote stuff for, for uh, my upcoming project, Fame of the Fly God. And Partway through, I would say almost all the way through this 100-page nonsense, I just realized it's a major kind of concept that created that was taken from a, a, a uh, an adventure that I had read. I wasn't putting the two together. And then I saw it, I'm like, good night. Like, the title is very similar. A theme is very similar. <laughs> and I, I didn't necessarily steal it, but like conceptually, it's like, wow, what have I just done without even realizing it? Yeah. Everything's a remix. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, and if you were to read the two, it, there's no direct comparison, but, you know, I look at the title, um, it, it, it's, it's the same cadence, the same thought it's just like yeah it's, it's called the temple of the blood moth and mine is a uh, fane of the fly god it's like hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I feel like moths and flies have a somewhat different role to play in they do but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a similar apocalyptic kind yeah. of situation even but anyway my point is right it's 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 hard we were all taking but i think the thing is for you um there's a lot of things that you conceptually, but mechanically, it's probably less hard to do when you don't read a bunch of game systems. We're all the time reading the systems like, oh, wouldn't that be cool to take this mechanic and throw it over here? Read another game system. Oh, what if I just took this entire setting in this system, but put it into a different system? <laughs> it's not a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, though. I do think there's a lot of just traditional D&D influence in the games that I've made just because that was fairly familiar. 
Well, it, it definitely yeah. is the right. It is in the it's in the zeitgeist. I mean, it, it's it's almost completely unavoidable. Yeah, roll d twenty, roll high. Here's well, even beyond that, I mean, you just you know, think of the, the concepts of of attributes. Almost every single game, except for maybe the more uh, wild um, indie ones. It's some variation, maybe differing in number of those same attributes. Yeah. It's there was a bit when I was trying to mine ideas from different stuff where I was looking at systems and then I just looked at it and thought, this is DD third edition with a different skin. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> maybe they rearranged some stuff here and there. Well, even looking at, to me, even the Apocalypse Engine, it, to me, is still the NPC reaction table being used to to make all the decisions throughout the game. Yeah, it's basically 2D6, you know, and you have degrees of success and failure based on those 2D6. And, and uh, to me, the Apocalypse Engine simplified that table, uh, codified rules depending on where that table gets used you're seeking information or you're doing combat and and it's like to me it's that whole game is just an extension is a wild extension of that one mechanic yeah that's interesting so is the game more focused on just the interactions between characters instead of no so what it would be is like uh so it's 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 so 2d6 uh two through six is a failure okay and when there's a failure the gm makes a move against a player Uh, or character i I should say so the 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 move could be a number of things it may not be it could be damage it could be other things it could be you hear something in the background or you know it could be moving the plot along uh then seven through nine is a partial success. So you could either say, I will give you this, but you must suffer this. Give them choices. This is familiar now. I've read this before somewhere. (laughs) Yes. And then the, the, the 10 plus is, is a, is a, is a complete success. And the, 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 and if you think about that, you can, you can hack that as a GM in any situation you're in. You say, just roll 2d6. And, uh, you know, if you don't have the rules for it, you know, like, I want to go, I want to go do a thing. And you're like, well, I don't want to role play this out. I don't want to necessarily spend the whole adventure. Just roll 2d6. And, um, you know, see where they come up. And you're like, roll, say, roll a five, say, you know, guess what? Um, <laughs> you, you picked a bad day. You're now in this situation that's not to your advantage, and we're going to start from the moment where this thing went wrong. Let's go, and you don't have to play up to that point or anything. It's a good starting point. That's I could see that being a fun way to start a campaign or even a session where instead of saying, "Okay, this is where you're starting. This is what you're doing," just randomly. This is the area. What do you want to do? I want to do this. And then just you roll that and you start the campaign from that point. 
throw someone into a frying pan. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's uh, in, in different in the different moves. So every, every game has what they call moves. And those are the, the activities that you you're, you're doing. So, you know, fighting may be a certain kind of move, but gathering information is a different move still uses the same 2d6 modified by an attribute, but that one, the fails, the, you know, the seven through uh, nine might just be, uh, if you're trying to gather information, you, you get a certain number of questions. So maybe you get to ask one question, maybe a 10, you get to ask three questions and the GM has to answer them truthfully. Right. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm just starting to think, how would I make this into a game now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of been made into a game, though. Well, the mechanics have been used for everything from, from a post-apocalyptic, very gritty, harsh, ugly, ugly game to, uh, to teenage angsty superheroes. Where you're 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 actually uh, you're actually um, focusing on the the teen drama where the, the superpowers are in the background, so it can it can play a whole gambit. It sounds really versatile. It is. I would say it's probably one of the most common third party systems out there. So they, there's even one that's called. Uh, so they well, one they did is called. Uh, they did one that's I forget the name of it, it's a telenovela. So the whole game is you're playing uh, Mexican soap operas. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a blast. Yeah. So I think that that's the that's the that's the you know the gist of that engine. But I think in some ways, as fun as those systems are, they probably don't hold up for most people for long term play. Hmm. I wonder why that is. I I have different theories. I think sometimes it seems like the simpler systems people have less investment in the characters, hmm. and the the higher the the granularity and the complexity of character creation, generally people have more 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 uh, desire to do, uh, more attachment to the characters, right. That makes sense. I also suspect that if you're going with something really niche, like for instance, you're playing the Mexican soap operas. Uh, yeah, I I don't know how invested I would get in that personally. It'd be fun for a little bit. Your investment's not in the characters in the story. So your yeah. investment is like, okay, I don't know where this is going, but I want this to explode in a crazy way at the end. <laughs> <laughs> And so you're going to drive that car like you stole it. You know, <laughs> that's the way it's going to be. Right. And I think those types of stories, right. So I think those, probably those stories, the the fun is the exploration of where the story will go, where I think probably, you know, probably more with the D&D style, it's the the fun is is your character's journey. Right. That might be why, might be a reason why, well, I'm not sure if it's necessarily the case. A lot of people claim that modern D&D &D, D &D tends to tends more toward uh, player character durability, where you might drop in combat, but that's 
rarely going to be the end necessarily. Right, because there's so many ways that if a if a D and D character fifth edition drops below zero, that he can either be revived, you know, through the saving throws, or somebody can cast a spell. I can't remember which spell it is. It's not resurrection, but it's like a much Healing lower word. level. Huh? <laughs> Healing word, I think. Yeah, it's just like Heard that one thrown around. Yeah, and I find that interesting because I think what it does is it, it, you think about the narrative that it, it creates. There that that's generated from that where the fighter's up front. And he's like, it's okay if you drop down to zero. I'll just do healing word and you'll come back up. And I can do that three times. Like, okay. <laughs> 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 but you think if you were to actually like actually have fiction, you know, driving a fiction, you'd be like looking at it from the other side, like I'm reading a novel, it's like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> he passed out and thought his friend was there with the magical words and he got back up again yeah and it's six like six times <laughs> yes exactly it's it's kind of weird and it it changes yeah and i think it, it 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 does create i think in some ways a more bold play for people like if you're playing old school essentials you're not well yeah. most of the time you're not people may try and do some crazy things but you 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 can do the the math pretty quickly and say my odds aren't great where you're like you know, fifth edition, you're like, you can calculate probably more more easily your the ability to take things down um, and things won't necessarily go sideways as quick as it will with some other simpler systems. Yeah. yeah, I've I've been wanting to run a game of OSC at some point. There's a lot of stuff I want to or maybe not necessarily draw upon, but I I've kind of been craving that sort of vibe where the story is not so much about, you know, player characters and their prowess in combat, but more along the lines of how are we going to survive this and people surviving by their wits. And hiring retainers, that's key. Yeah. So you hire retainers. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the magic user has one hit point. <laughs> yeah he's gonna hire some people and that's a, that's a, that's one of the secrets to success you're right because you can't you can't just approach things uh in a in a direct way um and and and, and have any chance of survival but uh yeah that's and, and i think it just it really comes down to what people want i mean it's it's right. you know that that scrounging desperate wait till you you know you know, trying to get up to like third or fourth level before you get enough hit points, you're not going to die, you know, at least the first couple rounds. I mean, you know, then you can breathe easier. That's, that's not necessarily what people want to play all the time or not all people want to play. I mean, some people want to, you know, they want to be heroic, you know, it's just, they don't want to be, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting, you know, what, what the mechanics do to drive play, you know, when we were, so the rules were when when we were playing back in the day, advanced D&D, you know, a magic user, you had to kill the monster to get the hit points the way we played it. We weren't splitting it. So whoever killed it got the hip, got the experience points. And so, but you had a magic user that's terrible in the early levels. They stink. You had to get them to about, you know, like what fifth level, then all of a sudden they're awesome. So the idea is you have to kind of nurse them along. 
So you get a monster about dead, and they would so they could throw their dart, kill it, and get some XP. But you look at the narrative of that story; it makes less sense than the the five five E. Like, yeah, like okay, this thing's almost dead. You go and get your. What is this Pokemon? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just uh, it, it, so that's why I can't get too uh, I can't get too upset with kids these days, and they not they don't know how to play it right because it's it, none, none of it makes sense. There's it, all these all the games we play that to some degree is just nonsense. I mean, we just have to learn to accept it. Yeah. <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs> yeah, it's. I've definitely, in every, all my efforts to try to forestall that kind of nonsense, I've definitely still seen it at my own table. Yeah, and I think it's just, it depends on what people want. I mean, if, if and that's why I remember back when 5th edition first was coming out, and, and somebody was an old school podcast, and they were talking about power fantasies, and I was just thinking, dude... If you're playing uh, against the Giants and you've got an 8th level fighter and a 10th level mage and you're fighting Giants with a sword, you're engaging in power fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand why you're saying, oh, those people with their power fantasies while you're engaging in your power fantasy. It's just like, they're just upset that the power fantasy is achieved sooner than they think a person should have it so mm. i guess i yeah. don't know because those characters didn't earn that right to have a power fantasy they had to have to be at a higher level before they can engage in that. right if you do it all yes exactly <laughs> and i i just thought it's just it's funny it's funny how we all just could be so upset about things that we're we're engaged i'm sure i'm uh, i probably rail my my hand at the kids uh tell them to get off my lawn too but uh i try <laughs> not to but i just find this whole thing with uh with games how people take such passionate sides about things that are just like it doesn't matter we're all having a good time here <laughs> <laughs> the only way to do it wrong is to not have a good time yeah i had a <laughs> i had a friend who we there's a game i used to uh it's called BattleTech, but it was automated on the amiga and uh and you could design your own maps i designed these maps in a funnel the the mountain range created a funnel so he could just destroy mech after mech after mech after <laughs> mech after mech it was just like and I'm glad he had fun, but it's just like, I, you know, for me, I was thinking, what's the point? But you know what? Just <laughs> to see if you can. Yeah, it's like, why not? It's just, that's, that's yeah. pretty crazy. So, so what, what systems have you played outside of the, the typical D&D uh, franchises and modifications? I'm trying to think. I, it's mostly been stuff that I've made, to be honest. I don't usually get to be players and a player in other people's games at all. So, so what sort of things do you, have you have you gone outside the typical uh, uh, fantasy for your for your game design? Not usually, no. I'm a fantasy junkie, and that's pretty much it. I have tossed around ideas for cyberpunk type stuff. Not much, but I've tossed around some ideas. Well, you're not far from urban fantasy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. 
<laughs> yeah, or not. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's very interesting. Well, I guess. It, so, how did you find out about Gary's appendix? Um, I joined the RPG Zines group on Facebook, just trying to. Eventually, I want to publish my own stuff at some point. So, it'd be, I thought it'd be good to be in some groups that focus on this and probably get some ideas from people who've been involved with this for a while. Yeah. And then I saw your post and thought, you know, I write stuff and I've got some ideas. So we'll throw an idea at you and see if it sticks. Yeah, that that Zine group uh, has, has been a very beneficial and positive community. It's really been uh, such a wonderful thing. Yeah, Tim Short started years ago and it just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, just appeared at the apparently the right time. It's about that time is when the zine quest started up with kickstarter so mm -hmm. just everything kind of converged at the right at the right time so it's cool it's a very fortunate series of events i think oh yeah yeah it's and it's it's amazing how far far zines have have have, have come but also um but even people like yourself there's still plenty of opportunities for new stuff because it seems like there's no limit to the cool new things that people can come up with and, and do yeah i it really does seem like because i'm used to just the idea there's only of there only being there's dnd oh yeah and there's this thing called pathfinder if you feel like being a little bit on the fringe there <laughs> right but there's we do seem to be in an explosion of ideas where yeah. you have a wide range of possibilities and there's always more to add to it. Yeah. What's interesting is in the zine group, there's very little 5e stuff, but the stuff that seems to be popular is either, uh, I think Troika was real popular for a while, but it died out. Morkborg is, very popular and old school essential stuff is very popular and then i think probably the next chunk would be people just doing their own things yeah it looked at more core that looks like it would be fun just it's a, it would be in its own brand of fun i've never it's played it i don't have the book but the, my understanding the, the mechanics are are fairly uh simple and robust so yeah i think it's but my understanding is reading the book, it's non-linear and how it's put out hmm. or laid out. So it's, uh, in fact, I think Zach Goins, I think if I recall correctly, he ended up doing a video for how to run Morkborg. So people appreciate that on YouTube because, you know, people get the book and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> why is the stats for a great sword an entire <laughs> spread? <laughs> yeah. And I think even like the, I don't know if it's the indexes or the, table of contents is in the back i don't know they just they they've really have just you know um kind of just seen how far they can push things um but yet remain viable uh so it's it's kind of i mean it's definitely i think a an experiment in um in graphic design yeah. looks like they had a good time making it <laughs> oh yeah well it's it's it, it definitely 
it definitely supercharged. I mean, if you look, like you say, Morkborg is probably one of the most popular. I, I would venture to say it's probably the most popular um, game at the moment that has supplements written for it. Interesting. That actually is a little bit surprising to me. Uh, I, it might, I do know they tend, they like to encourage people to make stuff for it. So they're very, oh, yeah. Don't know about that. So that would yeah. help, I'd imagine. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, I'm not sure all the reasons why, but, uh, but yes, they definitely have made it very easy to, to be a publisher. And it does seem like, it does seem like a lot of, so I'm not a Morkborg fan, but uh, looking at stuff that people have done for Morkborg, um, looks like a lot of people have done some really fun, neat stuff with it. Um, so they've, you can't really, you really can't. Um, so they broke a lot of rules, from my understanding, with the the, the main book, uh, Morkborg, as far as design layout, but. They right. they knew what they were doing when they broke them. It wasn't like, you know, they're experts, so they can do that. <laughs> Where I think most people who have a lot of people who have done their supplements have been able to kind of capture the feel of it, but without having the, without trying to copy the chaotic nature of the book. Right. And so I think that plus the simple system, uh, probably makes it very viable for for people to to dip their toes in and, and write stuff for it. Seems really approachable. I think. Well, you look at it and you think <clears throat> these guys aren't taking themselves that seriously. So it, for me, at least, I feel like that's almost permission to kind of go ham on it. I think, well, I've got these ideas. Let's put it together and you don't have to worry about, well, you do want something that's going to be legible. And I think the other thing is, and again, no expert on this, but I don't think the intent is to run lengthy campaigns. Right. So if you're not running lengthy campaigns, who cares if the things are lopsided and characters get killed early? It doesn't really <laughs> matter. It's like, it's like <laughs> yeah. you know, where if you're if you were to come up with some of Pathfinder, you know, you're gonna you're gonna want to make more sure that things are are mathematically right and right. And, and it's it flows right we're here it's like i can focus on the story i can focus on some things and a lot of the stuff probably the gm just makes decisions on without having to you know worry about all the implications so it definitely definitely uh lends itself i just question is i wonder is, is how long it's going to continue uh, mothership was real popular too for a while um but not as much as mark borg hmm. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's also, I I agree because it, it, to me it is it it did a number of things. One from the mechanic side, and the other ones from the from the aesthetic side. I I you know the question is, you know, will it hold up five years from now or ten years from now? Mm. Uh, will people look at it and say, "Wow, that was dated," <laughs> or, or will they say, "Yeah, it's still cool today"? <laughs> you might have subsets of both. Yeah, I, it's 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 really hard. It's like listen to it's like listen to music from your youth. You know, like there's songs you really like when you're young, and you listen to it now. It's like, 
that doesn't really hold up. And other stuff you listen to, it's like, well, it's still good. You know, it's 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 hard to say. It's hard to say in the moment when you're kind of in that zeitgeist. Yeah. It's kind of like mullets. Uh, there, you know, it's just like, <laughs> no, they're a bad idea. They should they should never have existed, and we need to stop. <laughs> That's irrefutable. But everything else, it's like you got to wait. But no, at the time, it's just like, no, we should never have done that. We should never come back. But anyway, well, I think we're we're the hitting the, the time space continuum, Andrew. Well, wow. how about that? How about that? <laughs> well, uh, thanks for coming on, and really thanks for for uh, your article. And I'm really looking forward to uh, people reading that. Yeah, it'll be a good time. It, yeah, thanks, it, thanks for having me on here. Oh, sure, and uh, and also in the show notes, people want to hire you to write articles on just about anything. You're the man, right? We can say that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta run that by your lawyer repeat. first, right? Okay. I've got repeat clients, so I'm probably good enough. <laughs> yes, exactly. So if you want to, or I guess the other thing is, is you know, I guess the sense is by paying you to write, you're also paying to research. So if anybody wants to learn something new about, you know, like what they should do if they're in this situation. Yeah, I'll just include a disclaimer. This is not legal advice. <laughs> I am not a lawyer. Yes. <laughs> I just know some stuff. I, I know some stuff. <laughs> well, well, thanks again, Andrew. Uh, thanks. Until next time. Yeah. See ya. That wasn't too bad, was it? No, that was good. I'm. Yeah. It was fun to fun to discuss stuff. This will probably this will I'm planning on this dropping not Saturday, but the following Saturday. Okay. Sounds and, good. Yeah. And uh, do you so I'll 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 uh I'm trying to think. So so uh are we friends on Facebook? I don't think we are. I know we're We've been messaging back and forth. Yeah, sometimes it seems like it does, and sometimes it doesn't. But uh, I can l- let you know if you want to find me on Facebook. You're more welcome to, or if you don't, that's fine too. I I try and keep everything positive and happy on Facebook. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> After 2020, when it became apparent everyone was spending too much time online, <laughs> I can't believe how. Yeah, I was. It. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, enough bad things was going on and as, as upsetting as it was yeah i would i broke my couple times my let's just keep things more positive uh approach but uh yeah i had to i had to do some cleanup on my timeline a little bit oh yeah me too because i thought you know what my timeline's just gonna be friends i actually like hearing from painted miniatures and rpg discussions <laughs> and pictures of swords yeah and i think that's so. kind of where i was at it's like and i don't even mind like i wouldn't mind like i don't mind political stances yeah. i don't mind political discussion but just this crazy stuff all the time just like stop yeah political discussion is fine being ugly about it is not yeah, and what I've come to realize is that people like to post memes, but they really won't want to really discuss the issues. Yeah. 
So it's like, I've had people in the past where I disagree with them politically. We discuss stuff. I'm like, oh, nice. See where you're coming from. We're all good. Mm-hmm. Rather than just posting some stupid meme and just <laughs> a poke in the eye. But it doesn't matter what even I agree with the side. That whole thing is just, it's like, I don't, I don't understand. So yeah. So anyway, yeah, uh, you know, so send me your whatever contact or whatever websites or anything you want. Um, if you're on Jean or want to be on um, listed for um, Twitter or anything else like that, Instagram. All right. I All right. do have most of my work comes through. I usually handle most of that through email. So I could probably send you that. Okay. Send you that already. And there might be some contact stuff on my blog. That might be a better way to go about it. I'll have to double check it. I haven't updated that thing in a while. <laughs> I, I don't know that anybody reads the show notes, like I mentioned. So it's I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about a flood of people all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, what's everybody doing on my such and such account? But you never know. Yeah. They do. Maybe they do. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. just hearing for people out of nowhere, like, hey, could you write this for me? Sure. Yeah, and I think really. Yeah, so so this, yeah, I think, you know, I can't promise anything in the future, but but yeah. I, I will say that the more you you get out there and the more consistent and the more consistent, if you can be consistent about what you're doing, I think whatever you whatever you want to do with it, it'll it'll come eventually. So yeah. you, just, you just kind of gotta figure out what you want to do though, right? Yeah, that's true. I'm uh, right now freelancing is getting a little bit tiresome. So I've, I've been. So, so when you, stuff. so when you say tiresome, you mean like you've got work, but it's just a grind. Or are you just saying just the stress of finding clients and that like, kind of stuff? I have, I have work and it's a little bit of a grind. Some days, some days not. It, it depends on a variety of factors. So. It would be fun. I would like to start publishing my own stuff. That, like, I've done a lot of stuff for hire, and so my name doesn't go on it at all. Right. <laughs> it's uh, strictly like I've worked this many hours on it, or this is this many words, and therefore we're charging this much for it. But, like, my whole life I've been making role playing game stuff. So I, I wouldn't mind making that at least a secondary source of income at some point, or at the very least feeling like I can set aside time. Like I can. The time that I set aside for it. Right. I agree. That makes sense. No, it does. It does. And I think, and I think I'll, right. And I, and and for me, my goal is, is to actually, Get enough going to actually work enough money part time where I can actually do this part time. But uh, but yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. It's 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 you you've got a limited amount of time. Your time is your resource, and and you're if you're not if you're not if you're right for this, you're not right for something else. Yeah, it's true. Of course, if I'm 
if you keep doing the same that stuff, but you also need breaks from that thing that you're doing too. So it's true. Yeah, if I'm, yeah, I, I'm still thinking through it, but I do think that's what you said is uh, if you do something enough, it'll, it'll work. There's something to be said for persistence, I think. Yeah. So like the podcast I started out and it kind of peaked up high and then immediately plummeted <laughs> and it just kind of languished for a long time. And I got to a point where like, I thought, and eh, I really want to keep doing this. It's not doing that great. It's a, a, doing this every week. I'll just, maybe I'll just go to once a month. And I, and I realized actually I'm, I'm getting benefit from this myself. Like I am enjoying this enough that I kind of want to just keep it weekly. And then, then all of a sudden more people, uh, I still don't have large numbers, but, but all of a sudden more people kept started listening, like out of the blue and, and it's kind of been growing since. So I think it's just a matter of, in in the zines, I just step by step by step, I've been, been moving along. So I think, yeah, for you, it's, I don't think you have to decide exactly what the end's going to be, but you start doing stuff consistently, things will start opening up. Yeah. I, I've, I think I've seen that to a small degree so far. Actually, freelancing kind of worked that way. When I got started freelance writing, I was working in a call center at the time <laughs> and started doing that and thought, you know, I like this more than being on the phone for several hours a day. I'm not really a person who enjoys being on the phone that much anyway. And it, Came at just about the right time to uh, just start. Just I guess just believing that hey, I can, I can do this, and doing it more and more, and over time it ramps up. Yeah, it is kind of weird, you know. Like like, there's times where I catch myself like, I don't know why people buy my stuff. <laughs> like, like, like I, I, there's times I'm like, uh, this is weird. I feel very odd right now. I feel very odd pitching this. I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel odd even about sometimes even like making it and selling it. But if I know somebody bought it and I'm, I'm talking to them, then I start feeling very, very awkward. I don't know what <laughs> I'm like, you're out of your gourds, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. So I, I think it's just, you know, and it may be, who knows, like say, just keep putting yourself out and you see it openings and i would say even if you could just start if you just want to do a small zine um and just do it regularly just maybe once whatever whatever regularly means it doesn't have to be big it could just be a small one for just 16 pages or something it's a little thing you print out and staple together yeah and uh but i will say that the so the group of people who publish it's a it's a very it's a very welcoming community and very helpful and and it's pretty it's not like super tight but it's a pretty tight group of people as you start talking to more and more people and get involved it's it's I think there's opportunities as you also network with I'll say peers but that's not the right word but I think networking with peers is also do you so are you going to Game Hall Con? What? Where do you live? I'm in Idaho. Oh, you're far away. 
Yeah, there's, a, there's you may want to think about sometime even just going to some game conventions to a meeting up. So North Texas Con is is one where some zine people hang out. Also, uh, Game Hole Con is another one. But you may just want to think sometime about you know about networking with, with different people too. But, but everybody's like say, if you look at that the zine community, um, people are just very helpful and they're all good people. Yeah, I've seen that so far. Seems like a really chill group. Yeah, you got a question and you get all sorts of answers too, and people are willing to take the time. And if you just want to direct message anybody, people are really happy to take the time and explain. So, but anyway, yeah, you'll figure it out. You'll get there, Andrew. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Well, you have a good night. You too. I'm Driftwood and Brush. Stefan works quickly to cover the tracks while Russ and James head to the tree line and wait for their companions to complete their task. Feeling the pressure of time, they move through the woods in haste. For an hour of travel, John motions to the party to stop. He mumbles that they're being followed, or even stalked. With weapons drawn, they slow their pace, anticipating trouble. As they approach the shallow but fast-moving river, Taiku whistles, signaling for them to stop. They are surrounded, and they need to form a protective circle as they wait for the predators to attack. Out of the bush, a wolf-sized creature springs at John, somehow catching him off guard. It latches onto his arm and begins raking the ranger's body with its claws. Stefan, seeing his companion in danger, launches himself at the strange creature. He locks one arm around the neck, pulling it close to his body. The other arm, he drives his blade deep into the creature's abdomen, slicing through vital organs with practiced precision. Russ prods James, who then stutters out an incantation as more creatures enter into the view and they all drop to the ground, lulled to sleep by the sound of distant piping. John, after catching his breath and surveying his wounds, lash out at James. Why didn't you cast your spell before it nearly gutted me? James tried to explain that once he casts a spell, he forgets it, at least until the following day. And if they were simply surrounded by a pack of squirrels, he would have wasted a spell because it would have been forgotten when they really needed it. James tries to further soothe the injured man's anger by giving an in-depth explanation of probability and the range and effects of spells. John found the logic irritating and was two seconds from putting his fist into the mage's nose when Daiku interrupted him. Bell Pathfinder, note the creatures that attack us. John surveyed the creatures. Sand dogs. Daiku, drawing close to the creatures, says, They are a thousand miles from their homeland. What are we up against? Russ walks over to the scale-covered dog-like creature and places his nose close to the plume of spines that rings its neck. Iron. Kappa. Carbon. Ozone. These creatures were summoned by magics. They are gods. They are not wandering beasts. Killing them may alert the summoner. It is best find the slumbering creatures. By the crimson bands of Krakara, what are we up against? Indeed, dear listener. What are our friends up against? Find out more next week.